Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you may be across all 24 time zones served by this program around the world. In other words, how you doing? It's Friday night, Saturday morning ahead of a holiday weekend and... We're going into open lines. What a week it's been, huh? I've got so many things to talk to you about. First, however, the war news. Now, according to the president, Osama bin Laden may have slithered out, his words, slithered out of Afghanistan, but will not escape the global reach of us, U.S. forces. And the president uh, pronounced 2001 a success for America's war on terrorism and for the Republican uh, domestic agenda. Tribal leaders streamed into the Afghan capital on Friday for the inauguration of an interim government that they hope is going to bring lasting peace. They should not use a term like lasting peace, in my opinion. They use that in the uh, Middle East all the time. And <laughs> Look at that. Anyway, hope will bring lasting peace to a nation torn apart by uh, war for decades now. The 30-member government taking office Saturday will face, of course, the staggering challenge of rebuilding a nation who, well, uh, when you look at pictures of Afghanistan, actually even prior to the U.S. bombing, it looked like it had already been bombed, and of course it had. But uh, we tossed around a lot of rubble, that's for sure. The Pentagon said U.S. warplanes Friday attacked a convoy carrying Taliban or al-Qaeda leaders in Afghanistan. Now, the Afghans don't say it that way. They say the trucks were bringing tribal leaders loyal to the new government to the capital. So, in other words, they're saying we bombed some members of the new government, not the al-Qaeda or any of their fighters, so... We'll have to see how that one turns out. Anti-terrorist police boarded a, a cargo ship in the English Channel Friday after being tip, tipped off that vessel might be carrying explosives or even anthrax. Aye, aye, aye. The search continues, but uh, no terror-related stuff found yet. Near Argentina, where they've been uh, going tipsy all over the place... Uh, a caretaker president assumed office on Friday after uh, s some days now of rioting and civil disobedience toppled the old government. So wonder if the new boss will be any different than the old boss. All right, well, that, that's the war news now for tonight. We're going to do a couple of things based on... Well, I guess first I want to read you um, an email that I've received from a homicide detective whose name, for obvious reasons, I am going to withhold. This uh, man he is not a believer in the paranormal or anything beyond the world that uh, uh, he sees every day, which, by the way, in the case of a homicide detective, uh, is not that positive a world usually, you know. Anyway, let me read this to you and see if it hits you the way it hit me, okay? Art, I was uh, uh, working the murder of a young woman. 
while at the scene in a vacant lot across the street, I saw a young boy standing there. The young boy appeared to be waving me to come over. As I approached the figure of the boy, it faded away. And when I got about ten feet away from him, he completely disappeared. Well, after finishing the crime scene, I was on my way to the morgue when I passed a large apartment building. And on the steps of the uh, building, here's this boy appearing again. I stop the car and again approach the boy. Again, he vanishes, but this time I got a closer look at the face. On the steps and into the building, I observed drub, uh, blood droplets uh, leading into the building. I recorded my findings and went on my way. Uh, the following day, I went to notify the mother of the victim. As I was in her living room, I observed the victim in a photo and on her lap, and it was this boy. So I asked the mother who the boy was, who, who the boy was in the photo, and she told me uh, this was her grandson, the child of the murder victim. She told me the boy died two years ago. He was struck by an automobile. To make a long story short, I returned to the vacant lot where the boy was seen, and exactly where he was standing, or I thought he was, I found a bloody knife, the murder weapon. The knife had the fingerprints of the murderer on it. I went to the place where the blood was found, and yes, uh, where the murderer lived and killed that woman. Please explain to me, if you can, what happened that night. I never believed in ghosts or anything of that nature. <laughs> Please explain to you what happened that night. I, uh, I can't explain that. And that will cause me to kind of launch into uh, what I want to do tonight. Again, referring back to the, the case of Pam Reynolds. You see, I can't get this out of my mind. There's no way I can get this out of my mind. The woman who had uh, the aneurysm in her brain, all the blood drained from her body, her heart stops, her brain waves stop. Uh, any ability to measure any brain activity whatsoever was zero for one hour. <laughs> for one hour. Meanwhile, they go in, they clip the aneurysm uh, in her brain, and then they put the blood back in, apply the paddles. I'm giving you the short version here, and Pam returns, returns. Memory's in great shape. You know, she's back in the world. Where was Pam? She was able to describe exactly what went on in the operating room. Now, last night we had uh, uh, Professor Michio Kaku on. And I think he did an absolutely stellar job all night long. But, you know, on this question, and, and I think I brought it to his attention right at the beginning of the show or near it, I thought it was an unscientific answer that he gave. And I'd love, I should have argued this with him last night, but... Uh, uh, what he said was, um, well, Art, uh, 
it would have to be that uh, Pam's brain, at a level they could not measure, continued to function. Some little tiny neuron activity taking place that, uh, that they could not measure. Well, you know, that's not a scientific answer. That's a guess. <laughs> that's a guess, and uh, that's fine. Uh, Dr. Kaku is certainly welcome to guess uh, about uh, what might be the case. You know, in an effort to try and explain this, he's a pretty hardcore scientist, and so I understand, uh, you know, the leap to try and explain it, but it is not a scientific answer. And I think uh, as scientific answer is demanded, uh, he did go on to say that he certainly would be in favor of some modern research into the nature of death, because uh, we've got studies that, oh, say, are 100 years old that show some pretty spectacular things, people losing weight at the moment of death and all that sort of thing. Not exactly going to be politically correct to try and get somebody who's dying up on a scale. You know, it's just, you don't do that today. They could do it then. So, I think that tonight we'll do two things, along with just general open lines. All right? My normally first-time caller line uh, is now going to be restricted to one category of calls. Either those who have had a incredible, well, okay, I'll, I'll, let me define it this way. Uh, it's restricted to anybody who has actually experienced clinical death. Hear me now. Clinical death. Cessation of heartbeat, cessation of brain waves, dead. Now, I would expect, in, in the case of some, we will hear from. They will have nothing to say. They were simply revived, and that, well, you know, when they were gone, there was nothing but blackness. If we are to believe the, the surveys, or in other cases, uh, if we are to believe the surveys, we're going to hear from people who uh, did, uh, you know, were able to watch their uh, the, those trying to resuscitate them, uh, the efforts going on, and all the rest of it, and describe in intimate detail what happened, as well as many of them going to a tunnel, light, you know, whatever it is that everybody says, and it, the stories are remarkably consistent, by the way, about the tunnel of light and the relatives and all the rest of it. It may be that uh, you could argue that socially we have so integrated this story of near death into society that it is simply people's expectations being fulfilled at the moment of death with those neurons still going to sputter, sputter, sputter. But I don't buy that. And then on any other line, only those who have actually experienced clinical death, actual clinical death, and that means somebody was there to actually determine that you had passed away, that you were dead, and hold a line open for only that, now I'll screen those calls, so if that's not what you're calling about, do not call that number, actual clinical death, now on my other lines, you're welcome to call in on any subject at all, however, while I am not officially calling this a ghost 
to Ghost program. I would welcome ghost stories, and particularly uh, any stories of this sort of phenomena from police officers. I found this one uh, just to be staggering to me. In terms of telling this uh, detective what he what happened to him, I, I wouldn't begin to try. It it would appear self evident, wouldn't it, that the young boy, uh, very anxious for his own mother's murder to be solved, helped him out. I mean, that's exactly what it would appear to be. Now, what what it was, whether it was not that, I I have no way of knowing. What I do know is that uh, the evidence for life after death, the life uh, for consciousness anyway, surviving death, appears to be mounting at an exponential rate as far as I am concerned. So I th you know, thought I would sort of point the program in that direction tonight. But again, um, only for those who have experienced, hear me now, full clinical death. Whether you went nowhere and saw and just had blackness and, and then woke up, or whether you had some sort of experience during that period. Either way, the qualifier is that you experienced actual clinical death. The following I also hold to be self-evident. As a truth, it is simply self-evident. What I'm talking about is the way is it's our women. Now, whatever men are meant to understand on the globe, women, they're not in the in the mix. Uh, we will more easily understand the nature of death and the other side, in my opinion, than women. But the following uh, are just uh, it's all self-evident. Uh, when a woman says the following, here's what it really means. When she says, fine, this is the word we use at the end of any argument that we feel we are right about, but need to shut you up about. Never use fine to describe how a woman looks. This will cause you to have one of those arguments. So that defines the word fine. And uh, then five minutes, five minutes. This actually is a half hour. It is equivalent to the five minutes that your football game is going to last before you take out the trash. So it's an even trade. When she says nothing, this means something, and you should be on your toes. Nothing is usually used to describe the feeling that a woman has of wanting to turn you inside out, upside down, backwards. Nothing usually signifies an argument that will last five minutes and end with a huffy, fine. Now, now there's, there's go ahead. Go ahead. With raised eyebrows... This is a dare, one that will result in my getting upset over nothing and will end with the word fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Now with normal eyebrows. This means I give up. 
do what you want, because I don't care. You will get a raised eyebrow. Go ahead in just a few minutes, followed by nothing, and then fine. And she'll talk to you in about five minutes when she cools off. Loud sigh. Well, this is not actually a word, but is still often a verbal statement, very misunderstood by all men. A loud sigh means she thinks you are an idiot at the moment and wonders why she's wasting her time standing here arguing with you over nothing. Soft sigh. Again, not a word, but a verbal statement. Soft sighs are one of the few things that some men actually understand. She is content. Your best bet is to not move nor breathe. She will stay content. Oh, this exclamation followed by any statement is trouble. Example, oh, let me get that. Or, oh, uh, I talked to him about what you were doing last night. If she says, oh, before a statement, run, do not walk to the nearest exit. She will tell you that she is fine when she is done tossing your clothes out the window, but don't expect her to talk to you for at least two days after that. Oh, as the lead to a sentence, usually signifies that you are caught in a lie. Do not try to lie more to get out of it, or you will get raised eyebrows and go ahead, followed by acts so unspeakable that we cannot bring ourselves to write about them. That's okay. This is one of the most dangerous statements that any woman can say to any man. That's, that's okay. Means that she wants to think long and hard before paying you retributions for whatever it is that you've done. That's okay is often used with the word fine and used in conjunction with a raised eyebrow go ahead. At uh, some point in the near future, when she has plotted and planned, you are going to be in big trouble. Then there's, please do. This is not a statement, but it's an offer. A young woman is giving you the chance to come up with whatever excuse or reason you have for doing whatever it is you've done. You have a fair chance to tell the truth, so be careful that you shouldn't get it. That's okay. That's please do. Thanks. A woman is indeed thanking you. Do not faint. Just say you are welcome. And then, thanks a lot. <laughs> this is much different from thanks. A woman will say, thanks a lot, when she's really ticked off at you. It signifies that you have hurt her in some callous way and will be followed, perhaps, by a loud sigh. Be careful not to ask what's wrong after the loud sigh. Like an angel. Walk like an angel. But be careful, guys. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Yes, you are, never in the sky. You fool me with your kisses. You cheated and you sinned. Heaven knows how you
Somewhere in time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Oh, this song. Guess what, folks? Today, I got a message from Nancy Sinatra's manager, and she'd like to come on the program talk about the pop culture of the 60s and the lasting impact of that culture. And, of course, this was part of that, you know... It's such a spine-tingling, back-of-the-hair, standing-straight-up kind of song. It's just... Boy, I don't know. It's just... Anyway, I'd love to have her on. So it was very nice to hear from uh, her manager and from Nancy Sinatra. They're glad we're playing the song. And uh, I did torture you with that, I know, a bit uh, earlier. <laughs> there are a couple of other songs she did that are equally eerie that came from the uh, same rough time era. All right, listen to me. Once again, I'm stressing to you, uh, my first-time caller line is restricted to only those who have experienced clinical death and would like to tell us about it. Whatever it is that happened, not necessarily those who had uh, the old white light tunnel experience or even the pitchfork guy or whatever, you know, whatever happened, uh, anybody out there at all who has experienced clinical death. That's for that line only. And then all other lines, I would encourage anybody with a good ghost story to tell it or uh, open lines so whatever you would like to talk about. That's exactly what lies ahead. <laughs> just had a fellow call on the clinical death line who said he mainlined LSD. I said, sir, clinical death. And uh, he just, he, I guess he didn't understand. Uh, I, I didn't uh, mean loose version of uh, brain death. <laughs> clinical death only, folks. That's what I want. Uh, however it went for you, however it went. Whether you had a classic experience or no experience at all, I think I'd like to hear about it. But uh, only those who have actually experienced clinical death, he says yet one last time. Area code 775-727-1222. And on my clinical death line, you're on the air. Yes, me? You indeed. Oh, hello. Um, I was listening to a tape to make you more psychic back in 1983. Yes. And it was, all I heard was waves, but in that fall I was walking on my farm up, I was living in Arkansas at the time, I'm from Connecticut. Yes. And I got a flash of my birth. I was at the ceiling looking down, there was a fat nurse holding me. The doctor was, um, just 
throwing gloves off of his hands. Now, is this, you know, hold on, I, I need to understand. Is this actually something? This that, is actually, yes, I confronted with my mother that Christmas. This is not a dream? No, 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 no. My mother freaked out when I said, was I born dead, Mom? And was I bo Was I born dead? I was born dead. You were born dead? They used oxygen. I mean, um... Oh, I never thought of that. A, 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 a near-death or a death experience... At birth. Of, at birth. Mm -hmm. I didn't see any tunnel. I was at the ceiling looking down. You remember this? I could see myself in my own bilbo cord and the whole bit. You, you're kidding. And I didn't like the doctor. I knew he was a social climber. And uh, <laughs> I'm serious. And he played golf. And I, I knew that, and I knew I didn't like him at all. You know, that's a lot to understand for a dead baby. I know. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm kidding with you a little bit. Oh, I, I, I mean, that is incredible. That I, I, I've never talked to anybody who had died at birth or, or was more likely born dead. Mm. Do you have any idea what condition it was that caused well, you? Well, it's very odd. My mother was torn up having her first baby. She had a twin still, and we believe it's another. That's a whole other show. But um, there was a lot of scar tissue, and when I was coming through the birth canal two and a half years later, I couldn't fit, and they had to use ether on my mom at the last minute. Wow. Back at the Stanford Hospital, and, um, and I died. And for some reason. The doctor gave up on me. For, it gave up on you? Mm -hmm. And this big fat nurse, I know she was yeah. Irish. I know because yeah. my mom had an Irish surname at the time. Yes. If she wouldn't give up or what, but she didn't give up on me. Well, uh, may I ask, you know, this is so unique. Uh, the, your memories of this, are they, like, are they like memories of other things early in your life? Um, um, I have pretty good recollection. You know what I mean? I, you know what I mean? Are, do they come to you the same way, or are they imprinted in some more vivid way. I mean, it's amazing that you could remember this, you know, as an adult. I have a real high IQ, although I had damage from being born, so I was a bad student, but I have pretty good recollection from about nine months on. My cousins are like that, my sisters. Well, that's, 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 an odd lot. that's absolutely an amazing story, sir. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's, that's a first for me. Wow, wow. Uh, being born dead. And and recollecting the whole thing, huh? Try and figure what that one means. You know, there are many arguments about when the soul is inculcated in the fetus. You know, many religious will argue at the instant of conception. Other less reverent people will say, when when a guy says, "How you doing, babe?" Hmm, that's conception. Uh, however, uh, many believe that after the first trimester, there's uh, some sort of entering of a soul. But there's a man who was born dead and yet recalls the details of the... Well, they gave up on him, he said. Oh, that's an amazing story. <laughs> uh, wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Uh, this is George from Queens listening to you on WABC. WABC 77. Yes, sir. Yes, I, uh, I have a one item on Pam Reynolds and one on uh, the Phaedra. Okay. Um, on Pam Reynolds, that was one of the best shows you've had in recent memory. Profound, yes. Very good. And uh, I have uh, uh, an observation or question that maybe you want to put to people. Sure. If this... Uh, if her routine of being packed in ice and drained of blood mm -hmm. becomes more routine, right? And uh, the and doctors can identify people as being good candidates for this procedure. Not assuming that you only have an aneurysm of any sort that she had, right? Um, would people be willing to undergo 
this type of procedure to try to cross over to the other side. Huh. You're talking about a variation of flatliners, and the answer is uh, not only no, but hell no. Doctors wouldn't do it. Uh, people wouldn't risk it because, of course, you might not come back, but doctors wouldn't do it because, uh, well, heck, they can get sued just for looking at somebody cross-eyed. So, well, I'm assuming if the procedure became more uh, reliable and that the, they can identify the candidates as being good candidates. Uh, sir, let me submit to you that there's nothing at all reliable, excuse me, reliable about bringing back somebody who's been dead, you know, whether it's just you drop dead on the floor from a heart attack or whatever it is, you know, resuscitation is dicey and happens not as frequently as you think. Uh, and on the, even on the operating table, I don't think they're ever going to get that procedure to the point where they can say with 100% certainty, you're coming back. I mean, you've got to imagine when you, when you get on an operating table, even as, as advanced as it might be, it could be goodbye time. I, I understand that. Now, there's always risk with any operation you undergo. But I, I, w I was thinking in the future, maybe 10 years from now, perhaps, no. No. where they have more assurance or understanding of how to control every, every part of it. But right, let's move on to the uh, other uh, subject I'd like to talk about, that being Phaedra. Phaedra. I had a chance to do a little research on that, and indeed she is a, uh, a character from Greek mythology. That figures. And uh, it turns out that uh, she was the stepmother of a uh, of a person of a uh, god Hippolytus. Didn't she end up hanging herself? Yes, she accused she she had unrequited love respect to Hippolytus, and she accused him of rape, and she then she hung herself. Yes, I believe that is uh, absolutely accurate. The, word, the, the 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 name Phaedra is just, uh, it's eerie. It's kind of eerie. I, I had a very interesting experience earlier today. I was uh, uh, doing a little bit of, I opened the phone lines for a while on KNYE 95.1, KNYE here in Prom. And a young lady named Phaedra called me. I thought that was amazing. Phaedra uh, called me, and... She had been named Phaedra uh, back in the uh, the late 60s by her mom, who had been influenced by that song. And I thought that was uh, quite remarkable. I have never known anybody actually named Phaedra, but here in Pahrump we have one. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Yes, you're on the air, sir. Hi. Hi, Art. How are you doing? Okay. What's up? Oh, uh, this is Roy in St. Joseph, Missouri. All right, Roy. I'd like to tell you a story of it that happened to me about, uh, this is not exactly a ghost story. It's possibly more of a uh, guardian angel story. That's fine. Uh, when I was young, I lived in El Paso, Texas, and uh, my street had a four-way stoplight uh, down at the corner, and... Uh, at that four-way stoplight was a was a road that went up a hill mm -hmm. to a rock quarry, okay. and at that rock quarry, very large trucks weighing several tons used to be full of gravel uh, coming down there. Sure. And uh, so I had I was about 16 years old, and I had been driving for a little while, but not too long. And uh, one afternoon, I was at the stoplight. The light was red, and uh, the light changed to green, and I stepped on the accelerator, went to step on the accelerator, and I felt a hand come out from underneath 
my seat and grabbed my ankle and stopped me. I mean, it was so strong. You mean it stopped your foot from it going to the... It stopped my foot from hitting that accelerator. And you know what? Two seconds later, a large gravel truck full of weighing tons whose brakes had gone out went right through that red light. Oh, good Lord. And, you know, I'm telling you, I... And, you know, I, I mean, I'm 16 years old. I never thought much about spiritual things or anything like that, you know. Didn't necessarily believe in anything, ghosts or anything like that. How old but, are you? How old are you now? Well, I'm 59 right now. 59. This is a long time ago. Yeah. When you think back to that, um, is it clear? It's very clear. Huh. It's very clear that this was a protection. It was a materialization of a spirit. It was so strong that I mean, I immediately put the car in park, and I and I expected to see someone in the back seat yeah. with their hands reaching underneath the driver's seat. Wow, you know, wow, wow. It was that strong. And I tell you what, I believe that was a guardian of destiny for my life. And, uh, I, you know, I have no problem believing in the materialization of spirits, <laughs> believe me. Must be you're here for some special reason. Yeah. You think I should find out what it is before I die? <laughs> well, I think we'll all try to work on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend, thank you. All right, yeah. Oh, that's an incredible story. Oh, that's an incredible story. You know, now that I think back on it, and I know there'll be a million 16-year-olds who will hate my guts for this, but I'm not so sure 16-year-olds ought to be able to drive. I, I remember when I was 16, and, and I just I don't know for the life of me how insurance companies, even at the rates they charge, can insure 16-year-olds. I mean, there's no absolute in this world, of course, but uh, as a general rule, 16-year-olds... I don't know. They just, you know when you give them that license, you're counting down the seconds until the first car wreck. And there's going to be a first car wreck. Almost inevitably, there's going to be a car wreck. Usually not life-threatening, but generally pretty metal-twisting. And it's just going to happen. That's, that's all there is to it. They, they don't think to look both ways. There, there is some... Maturity that, of course, maybe everybody just has to go through that to eventually get to be a good driver. I don't know. I just know that I remember myself at 16, and I just, if I was an insurance company, I'd say, hey, forget it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll insure the older ones. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Uh, first of all, I actually just wanted to see if there was anybody out there who actually has done what they did in the movie Flatliners, even though it's illegal and hospitals probably don't do it and stuff. But huh. And uh, second of all, I wanted to know if you ever read this book, Many Masters, Many Lives, by Dr. Brian Weiss. Uh, I'm certainly familiar with it, and I've interviewed Dr. Weiss. Oh, okay. So, well, I, Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting book that talked about, like, the different planes and stuff. Well, uh, look... Let's boil this down to a simple question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, if you uh, had a doctor um, that you trusted mm -hmm. and a group of uh, nurses, maybe even several doctors, and they were offering you the opportunity to experience clinical death. Here you are. What's your name? Ben. 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 Los Angeles. Right, Ben. Um, uh, just lie on this gurney, and what we're going to do is we're going to hit you with the paddles, uh, first, we're going to relax you a little bit with some sort of sedative, and then we're a uh, light sedative, I might add. Then we're going to hit you with a paddle, and we're going to stop your heart, Ben. 
Uh-huh. And uh, you are going to try and record your experiences, and then after about 30 or 40 seconds, uh, we're going to hit you with the paddles again and try to bring you back, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, I think I would do it. I know there's risk in, in everything, but... You lie. I think it would change my life if I experienced something, and for the rest of my life, I would probably but, live... Yeah, but, but, Ben, it might end your life. I know. Yeah, that's true. And, I, and I, I'd probably, I mean, that'd be a really tough decision to make. But I can't say that I would say no. Even though, I mean, there is a possibility that I would say yes, even though there's a chance. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way I'd do that. Thanks, Ben. I, I, no way. I wouldn't do it. No, it's not worth the risk. Now, you could talk to a uh, paramedic. It, it, it might be, as in Flatliners, that a healthy person to begin with would have an obviously better chance of resuscitation under those conditions. Still, though, you'd have to talk to a paramedic or a doctor about what your actual odds would be. And my sense is, once you heard them, you probably wouldn't proceed. And then, uh, just in case, there is an other side, right? Um, I, I don't think it would be good to stroll up to the pearlies and have to explain that you're there because of an experiment you decided to try. Probably not a good idea. And what manner of tragic death did you, sir or madame, experience? Well, I just wanted to see what death was like. Think you're going to get through the door on that one? Probably not. On my clinical death line, you're on the air. Hello, Art. This is Mike from Texas. Yes, Mike. And uh, you had... Uh, uh, did you experience clinical death, Mike? Uh, I flatlined as far as brainwave, respiration, and the cardiac. Why? What happened to you? I had a very bad case of meningococcal meningitis. That's bad, all right. And uh, you, were out for, you were gone for how long? Uh, just a, a couple of seconds couple of seconds, and do you have any recollection of what happened to you during that couple of seconds? Uh, yes, I'll be very brief. I had a, a hallucination that I was driving down a long stretch of Highway 80 between Arlington and Fort Worth, Texas, mm -hmm. and that um, there were like street lights, but it wasn't like going through a tunnel of lights. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I got to an area where I should have been familiar, and I was totally unfamiliar with where I was, and there was a bright flash of light. And all of a sudden, I became aware that I was standing in the corner of the intensive care room of the hospital that I was in, looking at myself laying in the bed. And I looked at myself, and I thought, you don't look dead. I had been told I probably was not going to live through the night, and I was trying to stay awake. Yeah, I can I can see why you would. Listen, I, I'm sorry to have to cut you short, but there you are, looking at himself. That story again and again. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001.
Networks presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired December 21st, 2001. In the beginning of this song, I sing about countries where they turn back time. I've been to the Greek islands. When you go to the Greek islands, it's kind of like they turn back time. When you walk off the ship and you walk onto one of these islands, it's just like the clock went back. It's like you went back a hundred years. It's absolutely amazing. It is, in fact, like times turn back. Anyway, listen, remember, my first-time caller line is only for those who have actually experienced clinical death. I don't know why I'm on this kick. More of it a little kick, huh? But it's it's interesting. The whole area is now not just interesting, but almost an absolute fascination. But, uh, by the way, would I flatline voluntarily to find out? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But those of you who have been there involuntarily, well, I'm sure you've got a story to tell. Back into the night we go, and on my clinical death line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you, and uh, what's your first name? My first name is Maury. Maury, okay. Where are you, Maury? I'm in Montana. Uh, Montana, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, what happened to you? Uh, is this Art Bell? Well, I, sure. I'm so yeah, thrilled. I'm, the, I'm, the only... <laughs> I'm just so thrilled. Oh, thank you. Um. Well, I was—I uh, had a pulmonary embolism, oh, and uh, blood clot went to my heart and lung. Of course, I didn't know it then, but I was clinically dead. Yeah, that's usually fatal, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. An embolism, and uh, so you—you you, your heart stopped. Yes, yes, it stopped. I was dead, and uh, I was up. What I remember was I was in ER. I wasn't when it happened. Where, where, oh, well, let's go back. Where, where did this happen? Oh, I had gone to the hospital because I wasn't feeling well. They did a, a test, uh, run some blood and things, and found out that my blood was too thick, so they put me in uh, medical. 
and were they were putting administering stuff into my veins. Gotcha. Probably blood thinners. Uh, it, the biggest of which is Coumadin. It's really something. Yeah. But, but they give you blood thinners, yes. Yeah. Well, I couldn't breathe, and I remember saying, "Am I going to die?" And uh, the next thing, I woke up in the ER after dying. And uh, I did, was, did they tell you how long you had been gone? Ever? No, just my records. They say clinical dead, clinical dead. Clinically dead, yeah. Uh huh. And oh, okay. and what I remember was, uh, I was uh, up on the ceiling in the ER room, looking down at the doctor who was above me working on me, and there was two nurses at the foot of my bed. And one of them took her stethoscope and she put it on my foot or on my feet. Right. And she said, I'm afraid, doctor, we've lost her. And I said, oh, no, you haven't. I'm not done yet. You really saw yes. all of this in, in, in this much detail? Yes. And I slipped back into my body. And when I opened my, my eyes, the doctor was just taking this big needle out of my heart. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and so you remember the nurse saying, I, I, I'm afraid we've lost her, and you said... I said, oh, no, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> you went back into your body. Yeah. And as he pulled a needle from your heart. Right. Mm, that's some timing, ma'am. I'll tell you, I, it sure changed my life. Uh, I think that you just learn what you really value. Uh, how old were you at that point? How, how long ago was this? Oh, this was 1987. 87. Uh-huh. Well, uh, let's see. This is uh, soon 2002, huh? So you've done pretty well. You're still here. I'm still here. <laughs> thank you for the story. Oh, thank you. Wow. Uh, how, do you, how do you account for that? Uh, how do you account for that? Hmm? Do you suppose some people are allowed to make their own decision? In other words, as you hover above your body, seeing what that lady saw, do you think that if she had said, uh, okay, then I'm, I'm out of here, she would have just gone on, they put a tag on her toe, you know, she'd been on the way to the morgue, or did she make her own decision to come back? <sighs> this really is a kind of a morbid fascination, but it's it's one of the great ways we're going to approach the truth about life after death. It's it's one of the closest ways I can think of to uh, uh, to try and nail it down. And, and boy, I'll tell you, we're getting close to nailing this thing down. Fascinating. A uh, wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, Art? Yes. It's an honor to talk with you, and I've um, waited many, uh, long time to talk with you there. Okay, well, I'm glad to have you. Where are you, and what is your first name? Um, my name's Tony, and I'm calling from Eastern North America. Eastern North America, huh? Yeah. Well, that narrows it down. Okay, Tony. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Anyway. Okay, anyway. Anyway, um, <clears throat> well, I got a shout your story, um... Yeah, me. I found my friend, but he said he was um, riding his bike along a trail, 
And then a humanoid black figure, like semi-human, semi-like um, animal, ran across the trail and jumped up onto a fence and perched there, I guess. And so anyway, I just found that interesting because he said made noise, and normally they don't make noise. So what do you have to say about that? Uh, well, more importantly, what did your friend say? Uh well, he didn't have much to say about it. He just said he stopped for a minute, and then it slowly faded away. And slowly faded away. Well, I don't know. Uh, gee, if that happened to me, if I was on a bike and this thing uh, jumped up on a fence in front of me, I'm sitting here trying to think, but uh, generally uh, I'd probably dro drop the bike and run. I think that would probably be my reaction, dropping the bike and running. I don't know what you say about something like that. Uh, there's more and more of it going on. People are seeing odd things. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. 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 Um, my name is Jessica, and I'm calling from Chicago, and I'm listening on WLS. The big one in Chicago. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? It's Fine. a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Um, I just have two very quick stories for you sure. about death. Um um, a friend of my family growing up um, in his very late 60s, he was really sick, um, you know, kidney problems, things like that. Sure. Um, apparently in his 20s, 30s, and 40s, he was not such a nice guy, maybe carrying around a lot of bad karma, I don't know. Um, but anyway, he was pronounced clinically dead. Yes. And he came, you know, when he was getting better, um, he discussed with my parents how he was very freaked out and scared because when he experienced his clinical death, he saw devils, fire, tortured souls, and it was just really a very scary thing for him. So he... So in other words, uh, he probably thinks he went and had a little bit of vision of hell. Yeah, and he after that he was very afraid, like that was what was awaiting him when he finally did die. Did it cause him to change his life and become a Boy Scout? Well, he certainly became very pleasant after that. <laughs> did, did he? Yes, he he really did. I now, mean, here's something that I, I wonder about, the fairness of it. In other words, somebody who experiences clinical death has a leg up on all of us and it doesn't matter whether they go to a hellish experience most people by the way don't talk about that so you hear yeah. fewer you know you hear fewer of them they're very rare and very interesting uh or they have the tunnel with the relatives and all the rest of it uh, i have one more quick little story that's also very interesting um my best friend from high school her mother um, when she had her last child, was hemorrhaging really badly in the hospital. Right. And actually pronounced dead. Right. And she was actually, oh, it's quite morbid. She was actually put into a body bag and everything. And into a, her, body, into a body bag. Yeah, and her husband was notified, and he insisted on going back in and seeing her. And it turns out she started moving inside the body bag. Oh, my And then they God. discovered, like, that she had come back to life. Yes, and apparently she, when this was all happening, she, like your other caller, was saying that she had this frantic sense of, like, well, no, I'm not really dead, you know, even though they were pronouncing her dead. Yes. She was like, I'm not dead, and she could kind of see what was transpiring and got really Even frantic. saw her? Did she even see herself put into a body bag? 
That part, I honestly am not sure. Be very disconcerting. What, what, what I was going to say earlier, and it fits for both cases, is as follows. It's kind of not fair, whether, whether you go to heaven or hell in, in your little experience, you have a leg up on everybody else, and you have a chance to straighten out your life and oh, fly totally. right, uh, or understand that you're going to a better place and you have uh, much less fear of death. Anybody who has never had this experience does, yeah. doesn't enjoy that advantage. Yeah, so, that's... so in a way, it's, it's like giving somebody a second chance, and it just—it doesn't seem fair. The average bad guy doesn't get a second chance. Yeah, that's an amazing point when you think about it, because oh. it's—you it, know—they've already been there, they've already done it, so to speak. Exactly. Now, if I could ask you one quick question, sure. and I could take your comments off the air if you want. Sure. sure. I was wondering if you heard about the uh, government um, releasing this information that these. Whales that mysteriously were beaching were actually killed by sonar experiments. Have you heard of that? Well, okay, uh, you'll get my comments off the air. No, I, I certainly haven't. Um, I've heard a great deal of uh, speculation from people like Greenpeace and a lot of activist uh, organizations that this incredibly high decibel sonar the uh, Navy is using right now is causing death and is causing beachings. Whether anybody has actually proven uh, the causative re relationship or not, uh, I'm not aware of that. You may know of a story that I am not yet aware, but if that is occurring, then of course the Navy should cease those operations immediately. But I suppose beachings and uh, the use of this loud decibel sonar, you know, they're, they're, it's going to be very hard to connect. A lot of you may say, no-brainer, but really, until you can make a direct uh, evidentiary connection, you're not going to get them to stop. That's for sure. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. This is Thomas in Mesa, Arizona, 550 KFYI. Yes, sir. Welcome to the program. Well, I've had a near-death experience in my life, if that counts against the topic tonight. Well, on this line, anything goes, so be my guest. Well, sir, it was about 92, maybe 1993. Uh, I was at home uh, asleep, or maybe mostly asleep, in my bed, and uh, I could see the darkness off in the distance and the dome of light, like, you know, maybe headlights uh, coming off in the distance on the horizon. Yes. And uh, I could feel myself moving closer to it, and as I was moving closer to it, I could make out silhouettes and white shadows and, you know, the uh, sort of afterlife uh, experience that uh, modern people would think about. Yes. And uh, I was moving toward it, and I wouldn't have minded checking out right then in my sleep. <laughs> and, uh, well, I wasn't too old then. I'm 38 now, but... Uh, well, you know, they say uh, sleep itself is a little slice of death. Well, so it may be that uh, occasionally, even in sleep, we get a bit of a glimpse of, you know, down the hall. But anyway, I, I didn't think, you know, at that at that particular time anyway, you know, uh, checking out my sleep uh, wouldn't have been that bad. But uh, the, amazingly enough, the one thing that brought me back uh, to our, our side of reality, as it were, yes, the neighbor's dog barking through my townhouse wall, calling me back. She was calling me back to life. Really? Is your name Ruff? <laughs> no. No. Okay. But uh, she was aware, and uh, that particular uh, animal had affection for me, I guess. 
that's incredible, sir. I, I, I appreciate the story. That's incredible. Yes, why not? Uh, if sleep, and in a sense, it certainly is a bit of a slice of death, huh? And, and one other thing he mentioned, uh, he would have gone uh, willingly at that point. Uh, let me suggest to you that you think about the following. Many Americans, what does the song say? 40,000 men every day. Men and women every day. 40,000. I think that's what it says. Uh, die in their sleep. Now, I wonder if those who pass away in their sleep, of course, we'll never know, uh, will we, have the kind of dream that man just had, only make a different decision. Uh, we would never know because they uh, die in their sleep. You know, and, and frequently it is said he died peacefully in his sleep. And I've always wondered, how do they know? How do they know he died peacefully? They found him the next morning. He may have been screaming and riffing in agony in the middle of the night. Nobody heard him. They always say died peacefully in his sleep. And, I, and some people do. The question is, did they have an opportunity to make a choice? Sort of get a little taste of the other side? That's an interesting question. First time caller line, you are on the air. Hi. Hi. I'm on the air. It would appear so, yes, with an echo, too. Where are you? Yeah, I'm in... Um Florida. Florida. Okay, we've got a terrible echo, hon. Uh, yeah, did you experience clinical death? Yes. What happened? Well, I called because, and I don't know what, I guess there's a delay because I heard you saying something about how people who are 16 shouldn't have a insurance or a driver's license. No, well, I, look, I, I didn't mean to offend you. Are you 16? No, I'm 28 now. 28. But do you know what I mean? Do you remember? Yeah, because I was in a car accident when I was 16. Oh. And it was a head-on collision, and I was pronounced dead. Oh. And they covered me up with a sheet. And one of the paramedics looked over, I don't know how long, you know, what amount of time had passed, but they saw my chest moving up and down. Oh, wow. Uh, and now, okay. During this period of time, what do you, is there any memory whatsoever? Do you have any memory of what happened? No, and this is going to be hard to explain because, you know, it's been 12 years that I've been going over it in my head, and I haven't told too many people. All right, listen, I'm coming up to a break. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to interrupt your story. Are you able to hang on the line? Yeah. All right, then I'm going to hold you over. Uh, stay right where you are. And I guess we're about to hear a story that not many people have heard. Clinically dead on the side of the road. Morning. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM, where all kinds of deals. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. And the devil jumped up on a hickory stumps and, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player, too. And if you care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now, you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, because I think I'm better than you. 
The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're going to regret because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, you're rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals it hard. With a tear in every room All I want to love you promise Beneath the haloed moon But you think I should be Somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Well, this program seems to be headed toward being a clinical death program. (laughs) That's the way it's going to be, then so be it. That's fine by me. So I suppose if you have a story of that nature, you can try and get through on any line. It is generally open lines. Friday night, Saturday morning, I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Now, this is serious. Um, I'm getting confirmation all over the place. Brent in Memphis, Karen in L.A., and a million others are saying uh, the whale problem, indeed, it seems. The Navy uh, did discern the causal death of uh, whales. Sonar caused trauma. So, apparently, uh, some whales that beached and killed themselves, the Navy now has concluded, did that because of their sonar. Huh. They're going to uh, they're going to have to rethink that uh, policy very quickly and uh, not make such a decision ever again. Well, they were warned. They surely were warned uh, by an awful lot of people, including the, the Greenpeace folks, that uh, this was going to happen. And I have this really strong feeling that we ought not be killing whales. Probably a very bad idea. Remember the Star Trek episode, right? Killing whales, not good. Uh, okay, you're back on the air again with that horrible echo. So you go ahead with your story, please, and tell us what happened. I'm on a portable phone. That's, that, that's okay. We'll live with it. Okay. Well, I was in a 67 Volkswagen Beetle, and I got hit by, like, a Lincoln Continental mm. as I was making a turn, and I can't remember exactly if, I guess the car stalled. It had been doing that. Um, 
I didn't have like a what I would call like a an outgassing where you see a light or anything like that, and I don't have any um, visible memories of being dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of describe it to the people I've described it to as I had my I kind of still had my foot in the door as far as being in touch with my body, but I was totally somewhere else. You were totally somewhere else, but you had your foot in the door of of reality, so you just barely sort of were hanging on to to what was here on Earth. I was still kind of in my body. I was in a coma for about a month or a month and a half. So, and while I was in the hospital, my mom said that, and she was there with me the whole time, day and night. Okay, then let me ask you this, and I've always wanted to ask this of somebody who's been in a coma for a long time. If you're in a coma for a month, I'm sure your mom was there and talking to you. Doctors today even advise that talking to people in comas may be a good idea because sometimes they do hear it. Do you remember anything at all? Well, it is a good idea to talk to people because you need to stimulate their, their senses their hearing and, and touch them and stuff just to help keep them there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the question is, do you remember your mother talking to you? No. So for you, it was kind of a big blank. Well, it was a big blank, but I came, I came back with a, a feeling that I had been somewhere and experienced, like, say, a life's worth of experience. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you so much for your call. In other words, maybe you were not meant. Maybe you were not meant to remember it. Maybe it was a very great deal in that period of time. In thirty days, thirty days in a coma, you could have had uh, a lifetime of experience because the time there is not necessarily. Uh, it doesn't necessarily equate with the time here in any way whatsoever. No relevance at all. So it may be you had another lifetime during that period. Very interesting. Very interesting. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I've never had any uh, out-of-body experiences. Yes, sir. But ever since I was a young child, I used to have visions. And some of the visions were very scary. One time I envisioned six tornadoes around a great big tornado. And I went around telling my friends for two weeks straight, and everybody says, you're crazy, you're nuts, man. Quit talking about the tornadoes. And? Two weeks from the day that I predicted it would hit, it devastated the town that I live in. Where was that? It's in Sedalia, Missouri. This was in 1976. I heard about those tornadoes. And, uh... Now, were you actually going to your friends and predicting this, or were you going to your friends and just recounting the dream? No. In other, in other words, you didn't begin calling it predictive until after the event, or did you say it was going to happen? I said it would happen two weeks before it happened, every day for two weeks, up until the day that it happened. I was warning everybody. And everybody thought that I was crazy. And I used to have different visions like that. And uh, well, I had a 
what I would say to you is stay in touch with me, will you? And uh, as you get visions, email them off to me, and I'll pass them on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. You never know exactly how to react to a story like that. I have no reason to believe he's not telling the truth. Uh, there's no way, of course, at this point to prove it. However, in the future, if he has such vivid uh, visions, then he has the opportunity to get them here, and I'll uh, get them on the air, and we'll memorialize them. Then we'll listen harder. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, how are you? Okay, sir. Where are you? Uh, well, I'm in Connecticut. Okay. And um, I want to tell you an amazing story, which brings streams, tears to my eyes every time I talk about it. Uh, sure. The hair in the back of my head standing up, my hands are sweating now. Um, this is like a guardian angel story. This woman, when I was a young, young boy, uh, I was born on December 25th, 1957. Merry Christmas. Uh, and this this woman lived next to us. She always called me her child. Uh, she was an old woman. Mm. Her name, we they called her in the neighborhood, they said she was a witch. They called her Miss Pre. Her name, my mom said her name was Miss Pree uh, Abahak. All right, but they called her Miss Pree, as in P-R-E? As in Preamula. Okay. Her real name. Oh, Preamula, okay. Preamula Abuhak. That sounds like a witch's name, doesn't it? It does. In fact, <laughs> it is the witch's name. I see. Um, but her, her father was an Egyptian, and her mother was an African-American. Um, amazingly enough, she, when she died, um, my, my mother says she, she was always favoring me. I'm the oldest of seven sons. She's the youngest of seven daughters. I okay. Found All right. Um, but when, when I would go to her house, she would always read a book to me. She would always make me take off my shoes. And, and this went on for a long, long time. And I don't remember anything she said. You don't remember what she read to you? I know what it is now. It was the Quran she was reading to me. The Quran. And she, when I would be sick, I used to have severe uh, head head problems. Um, I mean, my head would just feel like it was bursting in half. They used to take me to doctors and everything. But when she would read something over me and, and rub my head, it would go away. Just go away. Hmm. Um, later, I had a chance, uh, 10 years ago, I became a Muslim. Uh, unbeknownst to anything that she was doing, mm -hmm. I thought. And I, I realized there's a, a science uh, now that, that I've been to Saudi and studied, uh, called Arukia, which is reading a certain verses of the Quran over a person, and it will relieve all kinds of things. Um, so I wanted to mention that, but she also had the smell of roses always around her. Mm -hmm. Once I was running up a hill at a family reunion, I was a young boy. Yes. And I was running away from some guys who were trying to tag me. <laughs> As I went to run up this hill, this steep hill, I said, oh, I'm going to get over that hill and I'm going to just run down. I heard her voice say, no, slow down, stop. As I reached the hill, I, her voice made me kneel to, to my knees. And as I looked over, it was a deep cliff. If I went over it, I would have died for sure. As soon as I heard a voice, I smelled roses all around me. <laughs> the second time it happened, I was years older. I was out of high school. A friend of mine and I, we were getting ready to go to the bar after work. It was a Friday. We are going down this busy street. He was going to make this wild left-hand turn in, in, uh, onto the other side of the street. Right. I heard her voice say, 
stop. As soon as I heard a voice, I smelt the roses. I told my friend, stop, like that. When he stopped, this truck raced right past us. It would have it just crushed us. This, had, to make the long story, it had happened several other times. Well, she obviously is watching over you. I, I, I hope so, but I also wanted to mention this. No, I have no question about it. She's yeah. watching over you, that's all. I also wanted to mention this. This is something that I think everyone should take notice of about Osama bin Laden and about Omar, uh, Muammar Omar. There's a video that they have of Muammar Omar who holds up this cloak, and he's waving it back and forth to the Taliban as they throw their, their turbans up to touch it and everything. Do you know what this cloak is? Sir? Do you know that cloak? No. This cloak is the cloak of the Prophet Muhammad. This cloak has special powers. If you put this cloak on, you disappear with a prayer. It is a known fact in the Arab and Muslim world. But somehow... Well, our president has suggested that he slithered away. Maybe he slipped on the rope. Uh, rope. I, I, I don't know. Rope. <laughs> Slip right there. Uh, well, you know, I have uh, not made up my mind about a lot of things. And uh, what he said about the reading of the Quran by this witch... Uh, the reading of the Bible, the reading of the Quran, the, the reading of any uh, book by one of the great prophets, um, I think probably is... Uh, see, how can I do this without offending somebody? I, I, I think that reading the Quran uh, and praying for something to occur is probably as powerful as reading the Bible and, and praying for something to occur. I'm not. I'm not altogether sure about that yet, but I, I really do think so. I think that uh, uh, you can re really uh, reach any state of absolute faith and project power with prayer, and that that would occur probably with uh, any religion. But I'm not sure about that part yet. You know, they've done double-blind studies on people who are sick, very sick, even critically ill, and uh, are prayed for versus other groups uh, who are not prayed for. And the uh, results are absolutely startling and irrefutable. The, pr the uh, group that's prayed for does, by a great percentage, better. They, they know that's true. And I would suspect it would be true of any uh, religion that we know about uh, with a group praying uh, to whoever their god is. But I don't know all that for sure. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art? Yes, hi. Um, I've got ghost activity in my house tonight. You have ghost activity now? Um, not for about the last half hour, but up until up until about a half an hour ago, yeah. Oh, my. Where are you? I'm in northern New Mexico. Northern New Mexico. And kind of an enchanted place anyway, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's Are you in an fun. old house, or what, yeah. what's the deal? Uh, the house was built back in the 50s by the government as a chicken coop. You're, um, you're living in a an old chicken coop? Well, that's what it was. That's not what it is anymore, but that was its original ah, purpose. Ah, 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 really? There's a lot of that in northern New Mexico. And what has begun to happen to you, and when did it begin to happen? Oh, I'm so glad that you ask it that way. Um, I've had stuff happen since I first moved here, but I live alone. Which was how long ago? Uh, it's been two years. You live alone? Yeah, I live alone. 
Invitation to Trouble Right Away. Young lady <laughs> living alone in northern rural New Mexico. Okay. I have three dogs. And, um, you know, I've never felt unsafe. Um, well, I mean, what began to happen? Well, I guess the first thing that I noticed was, I hear about a year ago, we got a bunch of, of photos back from the photo lab, and they were filled with those orb things. Oh, the orb things, yes. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of the pictures you can't even see, and I've, I have tried to dismiss it in all kinds of ways, and then I started seeing the orb pictures on your site, and I thought, okay, I'm not nuts. This is really something that's happening out oh, there. Oh, it really is. Yes, it is. Um, and so that was that was the first of it. Um let, let me tell you what happened tonight, because a lot of what happened tonight has just sort of gone on. Yeah, go ahead. Um, about three hours ago, um, I, was, I was working at the computer, and it sounded like a freight train was coming through my house. The windows were shaking, and, and the wind's been blowing today, so I thought, oh, God, are we having a tornado or something? Right, right. And I looked out the window, and the winds had calmed, and the dogs were going nuts. And I had something like this happen before, and it centered, I use wood heat is, is my main heat source, and it centered in the chimney when it finally rattled all of the windows in the house, and it, it ended up coming down the chimney and dispersing in my fireplace. Just this Holy sound. smokes. Yeah, yeah, it was creepy. So tonight it sounds like a freight train comes running through the house, and the dogs are freaking out, and I thought, well, maybe the wind died down right after it did that, so I blew it off. Yeah. And uh, about ten minutes later, my dog comes running through the dog door, runs right up next to where I'm working, and she pulls a, a remake of that scene from Poltergeist where the dog jumps up on the bed where the entities have used the uh, the wall as an entry port. Do you remember You're, that scene? Oh, yes, I do. No, I'm not kidding. Her. She did it, she, and she, she put on her best play growl, play bark, and she was just being wiggy, you know, kind of running around in circles. Yep. And I, I, I couldn't make anything out about it. And then I realized last night as I was laying in bed reading, I had the only thing that, that I can call it is a shadow orb. And it flew right at my face. And, I mean, it was, it was profound. And I dropped the book I was reading. The dog jumped about a foot. And... Um, uh, well, maybe I maybe I nodded off or something. You know, I mean, you try to find ways to explain things when you live alone, and there's no one else there to witness these things. You know. Yeah. How are you handling this living there alone? I mean, how can you even handle this happening? Well, you know what? Up until the dog reacted tonight. Yes. Um, I guess that I was just sort of taking it in stride and thinking, well, if there was anything to it, maybe the dogs would react or something. But now it's like now I have tangible. Well, I hate kind to say this, but the, 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 night, the night from your perspective is yet young. Oh, well, let me tell you the other thing that happens, Art, and this is the real freaky one. You've got cats, and so I'm sure you've had this experience. You're laying in bed at night, and the cat jumps up, and they don't weigh a lot, but you can feel their little feet on the bed. Oh, there's no question. Listen, hold this story. Can you stay on the line here? Sure. Yeah, we're paying the nickel. What the heck you can. You Stay it. there, and uh, we'll bring you back after the news. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Baby, a king, a crown, a 
inside that we need so much. The sight of a touch or the scent of a sound or the strength of an oak leaves deep in the ground. The wonder of flowers to be covered and then to burst up through tarmac to the sun again. Or to fly to the sun without burning a wing. To lie in a meadow and hear the grass sing. To have all these things in our memories all. And the unison to help Somewhere in time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. There really are some rides you might rather not take. And tonight we're talking about some of those. We have a clinical death line. That's all we're taking on that line. Only thing we're taking there is stories of actual full clinical death. It is fascinating. And, uh, and so much more. Otherwise, actually, it's kind of turning into that kind of a program, which is also okay. That's what we're doing. And if you'll stay right there, it is bound to be a ride. Well, all right. Uh, she hung on all this time. Please uh, proceed, hon. Okay. Here's, here's kind of the clincher to this story. Um, last night after the shadow orb, Blew at me and scared the book out of my hands. Um, I felt this, what felt like my cat walking on my bed. Mm-hmm. Right I, next. I, to I know the feeling. They walk all over us. Yeah. Those, but, paws, you know, those not... paws were made for walk walking. Oh, good God! And if you've got a waterbed, all the better. Yeah. Um, That's it. But you know, when they're not right on top of you, they're kind of circling around your body, yep, trying yep. to figure out where they're going to strike. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Well, um, I, that that feeling was on the bed, uh-huh. and I realized that I was laying close enough to the edge of the bed that there's no way there was room for that cat up there, and she was laying in her basket in the pantry. <laughs> and and I got to thinking about it, and you know that's how all of this stuff has happened throughout the time that I've lived in this house. So you're but telling, I've always now, found you're, a you're, way to dismiss it yeah, until yeah, the yeah. dog slipped out. Yeah, tonight. yeah but well, but wait a minute. Uh, let's go back to the waterbed for a second. You're you're telling me? Oh no, that, I don't have a waterbed now. I see. Okay, but you're telling me nevertheless uh, that a cat walked about you, or what felt like a cat, but it was not a cat because your cat wasn't there. That's right. Uh, now, and you live alone, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you were a man, you'd have big cojones. <laughs> I, I don't know what you need for a woman to stay in a house alone like that, but how are you managing? Are you going to stick it out? Yeah, well, you know, Art, since I was young, I've had paranormal manifestations in my life. So I guess it's something that to me seems fairly normal. Um, 
And believe it or not, one of the things that helps me deal with it a little bit better is your program. How many hours till the sun comes up for you? Oh, God, I don't know, probably about six. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really don't lose any sleep over it. You, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if the dogs go off again tonight. I was obviously unnerved enough that I felt like I needed to call Art and talk to him about this. You have my email. Do you have a computer? Yeah, I do. Uh, you have my email address, right? Yeah, I do. All right. If something else happens between now and end of show, call me, okay? You got it. All right, thank you. Somebody undergoing paranormal experiences right now. I don't know how she could handle that. I mean, if something was walking around my bed, if I felt it walking around me, fine, it's a cat. And then you look over and your cat, your only cat, is sleeping comfortably somewhere else. I would not be sleeping comfortably. Let me put it that way. First time caller line, uh, actually on my clinical death line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello there. Hi. What is your first name? Lisa. Lisa, where are you? I'm calling from San Diego. Okay. California. Right. Just a very beautiful, warming, absolute, intense experience. Um, I was, it was in 1982, and I was a student at Chico State, which is in Northern California. Right. And a very popular thing to do was to go up to the pools and waterfalls and go swimming. Sure. And I was swimming at 18 years old under this gorgeous waterfall, and I could see all the fish underneath, and... I saw a friend on a rock, so his hands, he was leaning over the pool to, as if to pull me up onto the rock, and I actually swam towards the rock, and he grasped my hand and pulled me up, right. and suddenly lost the grasp, and I disappeared. And I was sucked under an underground waterfall that was about 60 feet, and as I scraped all the way down, oh my God. I could feel the scraping. And it was, I, I knew I was a goner, and no one knew where I was because I just completely disappeared looking down at the pool as it cleared. I'm trying to understand an underground waterfall. What do you... What well, it was an underground tunnel of water. These were just gorgeous pools in Northern California near the Buttes. Uh, it's like a mini Grand Canyon. It's gorgeous. Anyway, I was sucked in feet first into an underground tunnel and it, as it turns out it was about 60 feet long down the down the down the river the aye, rushing river aye, aye. and as i was scraping down it was the most and after i realized this is it sure i don't know it was the most incredible beautiful warming light now i knew nothing about this at the time um these exper experiences i've never heard of them before and um i remember as i popped up i popped out on top of a rock, and my leg was caught on a log, and I popped out over the waterfall, over this other little mini jacuzzi-like waterfall, right. and I heard someone say, there she is, and I was in shock and vomiting and et cetera, et cetera, but the point is, is when I came out of this experience, I was deeply saddened. I, did, I didn't want to come out of it. And I'm a, I'm a very happy girl. Yeah, you're not the first person to say that, that, uh, you know, given a choice, you would not have come back. Right. It was, it, was, it was unbelievable. And I'm a happy girl. I'm one of those, you know, just not, you know, that's been, I really enjoy life. And it wasn't that I was depressed at the time or going through tough, tough you know, things. Well, how do you think this has affected your life since? Well, a deep appreciation, and an, I can't explain it, but it's like an all-knowing that there is definitely something greater. No fear of and death? 
No fear at all. No, and it's made me want to accomplish really something, you know. I think we all go through life wanting to sure. make that big difference. Sure. It was just quite incredible. That's what it's, I guess that's the difference of the callers I've heard is that I did not want to come I want, back. I wonder how long it took you. Uh, did they tell you uh, from the time you went under until they found you? So they figured out it was about 60 feet. And as it turned out, after I changed uh, drastically for two to three months, I got very quiet and I didn't understand my experience. I was embarrassed. I thought, if I tell people, they'll think I'm weird. And then I went to the library and found case study after case study throughout, you know, the 1600s of these types of experiences. Okay, let me, let me ask fascinating. again. Let me ask again. From the time that you uh, lost the grasp of the person trying to uh, grab you and, and you began going into the tunnel until they found you on the other side, how long was that, do you know? 60 to 70 feet. Oh, how long? No, no, how long in time? I don't know. I just, oh, they said it was probably, um, oh, okay, it was about probably a minute. No, two two minute a minute and a half to two minutes. Okay. So because I was scraping down, and I guess where I was going with that, I was I was very thin at the time, and if I had I weighed five more pounds, I would have gotten stuck in the tunnel. And learned later that um, three people had died because they weighed over 130 in that tunnel, and they got stuck and had to be dredged out. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my, incredible. My, yeah, it was just uh, an amazing experience, but did not want to come back. Uh, well, I wouldn't be threading that needle myself. Uh, I appreciate the call. Okay, Th thank I love you. your show. Right, thank you so much. Uh, there you are. She didn't want to come back. Now, that's interesting because earlier I was speculating about a choice, you know, whether some of us get to make a choice. And she apparently did not, uh, or if she'd been able to, would have stayed. So maybe uh, maybe it's not, uh, maybe only a little, and maybe only sometimes is the choice uh, in our grasp. Maybe other times there is destiny. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, I'm calling from Albuquerque, uh, listening to you on KKOB. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to tell you, uh, I listened to your show last night, and I was very intrigued also by the mention of the Pam Reynolds story that you aired uh, last week. I can't let go of it. Yeah. Um, I, I just wanted to let you know, you know, to undergo a procedure like that, uh, she'd have to be anesthetized. So that's going to decrease her blood flow. Right. It's also going to suppress her neural transmission. Right. But she had a profound hypothermia. And even with just a few degrees of hypothermia, you can inhibit neurotransmission in the brain. Right. And she had profound hypothermia. Profound, indeed, yes. And she was on what I assume is cardiopulmonary bypass with low blood pressure. I, I'm not sure that her body was completely drained of the blood. Well, they said, uh, they said completely drained, actually completely drained. It was the only way, apparently, to get the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the bulge of the aneurysm to recede. Uh, so they said they actually took all the blood out. I mean, That's this is not amazing. a yeah, it's amazing, right? So, um, so that means there was nothing pumping any oxygen whatsoever to the brain, zero oxygen. Okay, uh, then you've got to get that doctor on there because oh, we're, we're, she wouldn't even have any oxygen for basal metabolism of the neural cells. Thank you. There wouldn't be any neurotransmitters going. Thank you. This was not a hallucination. I'm with you all the way. I mean, this is incredible information. I know, and and uh, we are scheduling the doctor on, who I am told will back up her story, and that means her story 
of exactly what occurred during the linear hour that she was dead, of what mm-hmm. went on in the operating room, the kind of tools they used and what they did, and you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, this is a very, very profound story with profound implications, um, and I'm not done with it yet. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Take care. Not by a long shot. Am I done with it? It comes closest to answering the question that I've been wanting to answer all my life. Now, there are no doubt other similar cases, and and actually, I think that it probably prompted the line that I wanted to do tonight, the stories that you're hearing. I know some people are not going to believe, but uh, that's okay. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello? I don't know if he's at home. Yes, hello? Going once. Okay. Going right. twice. Are Hello? you? Are, yes. Are you there? Uh, I'm east of the uh, east of the Rockies. Yes, indeed, you are, dear, and you're also on the air. Oh my goodness! I'm I, sorry. I didn't I'm mean, working. I didn't mean to interrupt your conversation there. But <laughs> no, I was working. I I'm, see. I'm a security officer. Oh, okay. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm the one that called last week, and you said to email, but I I don't have an address. I mean, a computer to email you. Uh, concerning when I told you I had been dead for 40-some minutes when I had my son oh, in oh, Germany. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I wasn't trying to put you off or anything. It's just that I don't have a computer, and I've asked around, and I don't know anyone with a computer is all. Or I would have sent you the details, and, and uh, you know, you could have checked it out. Give but... me a few details now. Oh, okay. Uh, when I died, I went inside myself, and um, my heart gave out. Well... I was pregnant, and I was in Germany, and my husband was military. He was gone all day. Uh, come 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm having pains, mm. and I held back on the baby until after 6 that night, mm. uh, till he got home. And uh, when he got home, I had to be raced to the hospital, of course, and uh, I should have had the baby at 6 in the morning. Well, it caused me a lot of problems, and my heart gave out. And I died. <laughs> and I went inside myself uh, in a German Krankenhaus. Uh, when they, when I went to in there, they had put me in. They don't have uh, birthing like here in the United States. It was like a birthing chair. But I'm trying to figure out what you mean by you went inside yourself. I mean, it, it, to us, to me, for example, I'm inside myself now. So what, no. do, you, what do you mean? <laughs> no, I mean, when I went inside myself, I was like inside where the baby was. Oh. And the baby looked huge. Oh. I was way smaller than the baby. It sounds dumb, but it's no, true. no, no, no. I got you. Okay. <laughs> and I was helping push my baby down the birth canal. I mean, this is what I was doing in there. Holy and, mackerel! And my son, uh, after I guess he made it through the birth canal, I popped out, and I was like in a place of light. But to me, it appeared like a round ball with no rays or anything, just warmth. It was like a, a bright yellow sun, but, but no is rays. This, is this the period of time when you were clinically dead? Yes, yes. So, they had tried oh to God. revive me over and over, I guess. So and, you actually pushed out your own child yes. and then came out of yourself and yes. you were outside your body. At that moment, you were clinically dead, so you had, you had died giving birth. Yes, yes. Whoa. But I didn't know I was dead at the time. 
what did, did <laughs> what kind of thoughts did you have? I mean, if you're outside your body and you have conscious thought, you're certainly going to be thinking some, you know, pretty strange thoughts. I mean, I, I actually wasn't thinking anything at that time. I was just like, um, I don't know. I, I, I was just doing something, but but it was without thinking about it. I don't know how to put it. It's like you know, you're just you're you're not attached. Uh, I just like and it, you know how you sit down and eat a dinner. Well, you're not thinking about it, right? And it didn't feel weird. I mean, you didn't recognize what a, a bizarre situation you were in. No, I thought I no, I I didn't even uh, relate to this world anymore. You know, it just was like a natural place for me. It was like that's where I belonged, and I didn't even. I mean, I wasn't even thinking of. I had no like like life passing before my eyes uh -huh. all i knew was i was in this warmth of this orange glow and it appeared round but i think it's because your pupils on your eyes are round that's the only way i know how to explain it huh. and and i i just uh i wasn't thinking that i'm dead i wasn't thinking anything i was just there and enjoying this warmth and it just felt wonderful would you have uh, chosen to remain there if you could have? Uh, yes, because that was perfectly natural to me. It was like that. Uh, see, I didn't, when you're there, or at least for me, I did not remember here whatsoever. It was like I had never been here. Really? Yes. I had no idea about being here. <laughs> I, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. You know, and, and it's like the minute that light told me, uh, uh, it was a male's voice and uh, kind of a weird-sounding voice. I mean, it wasn't even, to me, it wasn't even a pleasant voice. Not a god But I heard it say, Diana, go to your son. And at that instant, as soon as it said it, I remember opening my eyes and I was on this gurney instead of in the birthing chair. Right. They had me on like a gurney. And uh, I guess they were getting ready to wheel me because they were all working on my child. He had been born a blue baby from holding back, and uh, they saved him. They brought him out of it. But uh, they were over there sucking the fluid from his lungs because he was drowned when he was born from from me holding back so long. And, and uh, you know, I set up because I didn't know then that I had been dead <laughs> you know i just thought wow that's did, did, did they happen to tell you how long clinically uh you had been dead? on on my papers in the reported it said that i was 47 minutes because that's how long they were working on my son neil so it had been 47 minutes yes i, and recall. I mean it's not a pleasant experience when you come back because i've had terrible problems all my life with my joints and uh you know just uh Pain. I, I have chronic pain, and it's not pleasant whatsoever. But it's all because of that time that I had been been uh, deceased. I've got it. All right. Thank you very, very much for your call. That was some story. She was inside herself. She helped push out her child, who was a blue baby. And then she followed her child out and was outside of her body while she was clinically dead. Ay, ay, ay. From the high desert, 
This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. There's more ahead. Keep it right where you've got it. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired December 21st, 2001. You know, that's kind of what we do here, run with the night. Chase the shadows. Playing in the shadows. We do that too. <laughs> it is true, isn't it? More of it coming up in a moment. Don't forget, the first-time caller line restricted away to the clinical death line tonight. Boy, there's been a lot of that. I suppose we could call this a night of the walking dead, but it really wouldn't have quite the same spiritual significance, would it? Hey, listen, um, I'm going to be off Monday and Tuesday, Christmas Eve and Christmas, and uh, on those nights, you're going to have an unusual opportunity. On Monday night, Tuesday, we're going to play replay the show uh, from 97 with Bob Lazar and Gene Huff. Bob Lazar is a man who worked at Area 51. He worked on alien craft. And if you have never heard the, uh, of the show, it is dynamic, impressive, truthful-sounding, 
And if you've been wondering what goes on at Area 51, you're not going to want to miss that. That's Monday, Tuesday uh, night. We're going to have uh, Graham Hancock going back yet another year to 96. We'll be talking about Egypt, and of course that subject is absolutely ageless, and so if you've never heard Graham, that's going to be an extremely unusual opportunity for you. Hope you have a all have a good Christmas. On my clinically deadline, you're on the air. Well, well, well. <laughs> yes. I uh, first just want to let you know that I'm listening to you on this groovy little Bajan that I bought in 99 on your advice. Oh, and right. It was a wonderful purchase, and I just wanted to mention that I had lost the hookup to uh, go to house current, so all night I have to crank that rascal. Huh. Well, you know what? It gives you the greatest workout. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you know that there's two, it's a double, uh, it's a double use instrument. It is an amazing radio, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Uh, where are you? Uh, near Yosemite National Park in California. All right, very good. Uh, okay, well, um, what happened to you? Well, I was in a horrendous horse wreck back in the 1950s. Did you say horse wreck? A horrendous horse mule uh, wreck. The whole herd ran over me after I fell off the front horse. Oh, you were trampled. I certainly was. I was thrashed, and I was in the operating room late at night. Um, they were trying to patch me up, uh, and they were working on my shoulder at the time. They were in there stapling bones together, and uh, it was. this was in the old days when they used ether for, right. an for anesthesia. Be, oh, sure. Well, what it amounted to was they put a little mask over your face and then the uh, person that was administering would just start pouring a few drops of the stuff on the mask. That's correct, yes. There was no way to, you know, really gauge it. So basically, I was just a tiny little sprout. I was maybe ah, six, seven years old. And they overdosed me and they killed me. <laughs> so... You've uh, got a good sense of humor about it now, I guess, after well, all this time. Well, art has been a great blessing and a privilege, and so, yes, I do have a, a real good attitude about it. Um, they had uh, a drape over my chest and abdomen. They were working on my shoulder. Well, they had set a lot of instruments and scalpels and things on this drape, basically on my chest, right. and right. Uh, all of a sudden... Uh, Someone said, we've lost her, we've lost her, and they started scrambling. Here they've got this little tiny tot, and all of a sudden she's gone, and so they started flinging instruments off of me, trying to get to my chest, and as they were scrambling and flinging, that one of them uh, dropped a scalpel, down onto my arm, and it stabbed into my arm. And they, you know, it was a minor problem uh, in the big scheme of things, but um, it was an accident. And meanwhile, somebody else... Still, you know, still, it would have been kind of annoying. I mean, if you were aware in any way, <laughs> either in or out of your body, and you saw them <laughs> stab you with a scalpel, it would be, hey, hey. Well, oh. you know, back then, I was so tiny, uh, I had never, of course 
heard of a near-death back in the 50s. Uh, I don't know if it was even discussed much. Well, what happened to you? I mean, uh, what... Well, what happened to me was they started pounding on my chest. And I was looking at the same old story. I was looking down and watching, and I was thinking, gee. And then I realized, well, that's me down there. I thought, wow. And then I realized there's this presence on my left waiting with me up in the air, 18 or 20 feet, hovering. There I am looking down. And there is this being. I don't know. I shouldn't say being. I did not turn to my left and look at who was with me, but I was not frightened. The person with me was not threatening. You knew you were in company. I was in company, yeah. Did this entity impart any information to you? No, just waiting patiently. Just waiting. The gist of it was they got me started back up, and they proceeded to put me in a body cast, and I woke up... uh, at, towards the end of the body cast part, I was back in my body. Um, I, my mother, uh, uh, the next day or so, um, I was telling her that uh, something happened in there and that they dropped something on me and cut me. Uh, and she, you know, I was so small that, she, you know, what with the ether and all, she just figured, well, you know, yeah. whatever. And the doctor, uh, she had told me later, much later, that the doctor had come out of the operating room and said, well, we had a few problems in there, but everything's okay, and we're hoping that, you know, she's going to do okay with the body cast. I was in the hospital forever, and the body cast forever. Well, (laughs) when they finally took it off, uh, they... They use the old, the same thing they still use. You know, it's that saw thing that you think is going to cut you in half when they're taking the cast off. That's right. And um, I, uh, uh, he said, the doctor told my mother just before he started, he says, oh, he says, I don't know if I told you. He said, but we had a small mishap in there. He said, "Uh, uh, she got a little, she was nicked by an instrument, and we just gave her one little suture, and it's fine. Well, he, they took the body cast off, and I still have that scar on my arm, Art. My God, what a story. What a story, and and oh, wow, what a story! <laughs> All right, well, listen, thank you. Uh, I'd like to just say one thing. Yes. I I spoke to a hypnotherapist about the possibility of regression, post you know hypnotic re- regression. I want to go back, and I want to be in the air with that that whatever it was. Then you should try it. I want to turn to my left and I want to look and see what it was yeah, or who yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I think perhaps maybe the death angel or maybe the life creator, the force, the life force. Maybe they send messengers to bring you where you're supposed to go. I don't blame you. I, I, I do it. I, I would want to do the exact same thing if that had happened to me. Wow, what a story. So <laughs> there was a presence with her waiting. Now, what does that suggest? Hmm? That it's not all in our hands. I mean, why would there be a presence there waiting unless uh, in, unless it was somewhat unsure, the outcome was unsure? Uh, but then again, you would think God or the Creator would know for sure that you're dead meat. Maybe He doesn't. 
and maybe it's not entirely within the Lord's hands whether you're going to die or return to your body. Maybe it's it's just not entirely. Maybe he doesn't wish it to be entirely in his hands. And so there is somebody there just in case the most probable occurs, and you need guidance from there forward. In this case, of course, she didn't. But she was aware enough and knew that they had dropped, you know, in the middle of trying to revive her dead body, they dropped scalpel and it just stabbed her in the arm. Now, like Pam Reynolds, how can you possibly account for these stories without colliding with this wall of, oh my God, there is something on the other side. You know, it, all this is real. It's not, a, it's not a joke, it's not a wish, it's not a hope, it's not even a faith, it's a fact that there is something beyond. How many stories like this can you hear from, obviously, uh, uh, a very articulate people who don't sound one little bit like they're making it up, do they? A wild card line, you're on the air, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. No, I, uh, about Kaku last night. Oh, Dr. Kaku, yes. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, you know, that he did really turn a beautiful story into a horror story. Well, I wonder how well, many people are buried alive. Or... Well, well, listen, mm-hmm. uh, I respect uh, Dr. Kaku a very great deal, but I said earlier in the program, and I'm going to say it again now, in my opinion, what he rendered up as an answer for the story of, you know, Pam, yes. was not scientific, and I think he would be the first to admit that. In other words, he was grasping at some possible explanation, which he had no scientific basis for reaching, uh, for for you know, and trying to explain away what happened to Pam. And I don't think he gave us anything in science. He said, what he said was, if I heard correctly. Well, look, there must be some neural activity, as minor as it might be going on, that they simply couldn't measure. But that's pure speculation on his part. Uh, In fact, they were measuring nothing. In fact, there was no blood going to carry oxygen to the brain. There was no measurable neural activity. She was dead. If he was right, though, imagine how many people have been watching their own... Oh, I said that. Autopsies. Yeah, I said that. If he if he would be right, it would be the biggest horror story of horrible. all time. It would be like you you you'd know you were being wheeled into the morgue, and you know yeah. now we're gonna drain the juice. Oh no, not that! Right? Oh no, that'd be a horror story. But you see, I don't think I believe that at all. Oh, I hope not. Oh, you don't really believe that, do you? I don't choose to believe it. No, I don't. Or or or, or how about this? No. You're you're in a enclosed. Space, and you can hear your casket being wheeled toward the flames. That's what I was thinking. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, better not to think about it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. Uh, of course, if, if Dr. Kaku was right, then that could conceivably be the <laughs> horrendous result. Yeah, I don't think so. East of the Rockies, you are on the air. Hello. Uh, good morning, Mr. Bell. Yes, sir. Uh, this is Raymond calling from South Texas. Okay. Uh, uh, last, oh, I guess it's been the last couple of weeks, 
you'd, you'd received a couple calls and you said some emails about people being awakened by people calling their names. Oh, yes. Um, I'd recently um, uh, suffered a minor back injury and I'd been off work and during the time that I was I was off, I had uh, occasion to be in bed quite a bit. Sure. And I had been woken on several occasions by what I perceived to be somebody calling my name. I, I thought it was probably the medication until the the, the last event, which was the the last uh, the last evening I work a night shift. Uh, and the last evening I was I was sleeping up until time I had to go to work. Uh, and uh, while, while I was sleeping, I, I was awoke by by uh, a voice calling my name saying time to get up and um, I, uh, my alarm clock is broken so I was using my cellular phone as an right. alarm right anyway I, I get up and I look at the the cellular phone and sure enough uh, the the alarm is within probably a minute of, of time to go uh, to go to work so I turn on the light and get ready and I grab my my watch and I realize that it's not the correct time on my cell phone oh um, so I, I guess the significance of of this is uh, the voice told me it was time to get up by the incorrect time. Huh. Huh. Well, uh, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Uh, one is that, you know, you mentioned medication. Right. Uh, medication may disturb your brain to cause you to, uh, you know, hear something false, or, you know, medication may also open some doors that allow you to hear something you wouldn't hear otherwise. Same deal for sleep deprivation or disturbed sleeping um, uh, patterns. In other words, if your sleeping is very disturbed, you can imagine that you would just have a lot of dreams and vivid stuff, or you can also imagine that it simply opens doors because you're spending more time in the twilight zone of sleep where these weird things occur. Yes, sir. Simple as that. So you can look at it uh, either way. You can take your experience and suggest it was just drug-induced or because you were having poor sleeping patterns, or you can imagine that those things are simply opening doors, allowing you to know things that you would not know otherwise. Either one could easily be true. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello? Hello. Um, yeah, I wanted to um, you know, talk about um, near-death experiences. Uh, you're a little hard to hear, hon. Okay, I wanted to talk about the near-death experience. Near-death? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where are you? I'm in um, Salinas, California. Salinas, okay. Mm-hmm. You... Okay, when I was 18, um, you know, I was um, ex- experimenting. You know, I didn't, I never tried any kind of drugs or anything. Yes. But I, I did find, like, a cigar in a bag, you know, and I, was, I, I found it in school, so I thought, you know, it was a regular cigar. So I, I I went in the back of my house and I smoked it for a couple, you know, puffs. <laughs> you smoked the cigar? Yeah, a big cigar. And then um, that was my first time I ever smoked anything, you know. It was my first time. <laughs> um, next thing you know, you know, um, I went in my house and my family was there and we were watching television. But all of a sudden, you know, this something started happening to me. I I just became really scared. I I I could see myself, you know, really. Looking at myself like a mirror, and I was—it um, it seemed like I was uh, in in air, and I was a really small person myself. You know how I look, but I was a small person looking at myself, and I was really scared because I could see myself, and I could see—you know—I could see myself really small, right. and I've never seen that. You know, I was really scared, so I—I—I just—I—I I just started, you know, shaking, and then my 
my family put a blanket on me. I said, I, I don't want, I want to be in the dark, you know, I'm really scared. Of, you know, and they put a blanket over me, and they didn't know what was going on, right? Right. And so my family called the ambulance, and I went in an ambulance to the hospital, because they didn't know what was going on with me. And so I, I was in the hospital the next day, and then, um, you know, they asked me, well, what happened? Why, why is it that, you know, you know you're almost going to die, you know, um, almost near death? What, did, what happened to you? And then I told them, you know, that I had taken... That you had smoked? This yeah, thing. that I had taken some drug maybe that I didn't know. Do you know what it was? No, I just, I found it in school in a bag, and I I just, you know, I, I, I just wanted to try You know, I was 18, I was really very young. <laughs> and so they just gave me a warning. They said, you know, next See, that's time what I was saying. Drug... You know, maybe 16-year-olds shouldn't drive, even 18-year-olds, I don't know. I mean, you find this bag with a cigar, Ooh, take it home, <laughs> smoke it, huh? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, they told me next time you try... Something like this, you might not make it. So we suggest that you don't try any more drugs at all. I would imagine <laughs> that. that would... Thing, you were very lucky that you made it. You almost, you almost died. Well, and I just wanted to recall that I really, I really could see myself in it. It's like, a, like myself, but really a small person that's in the air and in, in, you're looking down at yourself. So I don't know what that small. Well, it is. sounds an awful lot. Thank you. Like the near-death experiences that have been described by so many others tonight, doesn't it? See, that's that's what I mean by, you know, being stupid when you're young. You're, you're stupid. That's all there is to it. You're stupid. Find a bag out there with sort of like a half-smoked cigar in it. Let's take it home and smoke it and see what happens. You do that at 18. Now, you wouldn't do that now, would you? Would you? I'm Art Bell. And this is Coast to Coast AM. Don't forget, first time caller line is now the I was officially terminated dead line. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001.
you're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. In the shadow of the Valley of Death, a little town called Perump is where we are, the high desert. Good morning, everybody. Girl, you gotta love your man. Talking about over there. A lot about over there. Girl, you gotta love your man. There'll be more of it in a moment. Stay right where you are. Once again, let's go play with the shadows in the nighttime a little bit, shall we? On the first time call, actually on my, uh, was I was actually dead, clinically dead line. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. Where, uh, I w- I was, I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. And WTAM 1100. The big one, yes. Yep, and I'm, my name is Caroline. Okay. And what I'm calling about is when I was 14, in about 1961, I had a clinical death. I was in the operating room. I had appendicitis. Oh, yes. It was simple operation, right? right. It was supposed to be. Right. Well, anyhow, um, what happened was I started to hemorrhage. The doctor cut a vein. Oh. And I was hemorrhaging, and the blood got into my lungs and suffocated me. That would do it. And what happened was I was, I could hear them talking, but what I was seeing was a black velvet screen with cards like poker hands and a roulette wheel and craft ice rolling across the table. You went to Vegas in the sky. I went to Vegas, yeah. (laughs) And I was only 14. I didn't even know poker or uh, I didn't even know what crafts were. I found out later what they were. And... uh, Anyways, I could hear everything they were saying. Realize that suggests there could be gambling on the other side. I don't know. There could be. Or maybe, uh, maybe a roll or two of the uh, uh, the craps dice uh, were t- was to determine which direction you were headed. Uh, yeah, that I thought about that after I learned about what dice were and what they were used for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, yours. This is a first. Well, okay. What happened? What happened was they managed to stick uh, to cut my lungs open and to stick some air into it and suction, and they suctioned me out and they sealed up my lungs and I started breathing again. I was, I had a tube down my nose into my throat into my lungs, and that was a weird sensation because I didn't have to breathe. It was breathing for me. Right. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, I did have an, I was asleep. I was clinically dead. They, I heard them say, she's dead, she's gone, and there's nothing we can do for her. She's, uh, she's hemorrhaged out. And, uh, then all of a sudden I just woke up and I just said, no, 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 I'm not dead, I'm not dead, don't kill me. Wow. So it was quite an experience for me. I haven't forgotten it yet, and I'm 56 years old, and I don't think I ever will to the day I really die. <laughs> and and you're telling me that while you were there, there were there were uh, Vegas-like games all yeah, around, around you. All, all around me. And I could see it on this black velvet cloth with the light from above, and all these games were being played. And the poker hands... 
I did uh, see Aces and Eights, and I saw Royal Flush in Hearts. Uh-huh. I remember it in detail because I it was something that I never had before, and I never ever repeated it again. <laughs> well, that's great. I I really appreciate your story. Thank you. I I don't know what to say about that. That is a first. A Vegas-like scene on the other side. Hmm. Might be all right after all, huh? <laughs> That's really a first. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. It's uh, Stephen in uh, Evansville, Indiana. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Uh, she just said to be glad it didn't come up snake eyes. Yeah, yeah no kidding. First roll snake eyes, and then you're drifting off, you know. Yeah, I um, I had a, a comment about uh, uh, the program last night. I wanted to tell you a brief ghost story and ask you a question about cloning. That, that's a lot. So yeah. okay. I'll make it real quick. Um, the Washington Times had a uh, article today about the um, uh, global warming, and they basically just poo-pooed it. Yeah, well. Yeah, they said that it was good for us because we were making money off of the uh, crop that we were growing. Mm. But yeah, I'm familiar with those sorts of stories. Uh, my um, my ghost story is... Uh, They're usually as short-sighted as the nose of the writer that uh, authored it. Anyway, your ghost story? Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, I lived with my grandmother until I was seven, and, and she died. And I was in the, the uh, funeral home, and um, I was sitting there looking at her, and, and she sat up in you know in her casket. She sat up and, and turned and looked at me. What? And then, then someone started talking to me, and, and when I looked back, she was uh, laying back down. Are you sure of what you saw? I'm not sure about that part. No, 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 about her sitting up part? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I saw that. And uh, Oh, uh, that would be... That no, would one be else, no one else saw it, just me. That wouldn't matter. If you saw it, that would be really not good. I mean, really not good. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you scream? No, I, I wasn't afraid at all. Well, I, forget afraid for a second, even though, yeah, I'd be afraid. But would, wouldn't you scream to everybody, hey, Grandma's not dead, she just sat up? No, no, I, I don't know. I was just, like, totally calm about it. And then uh, that night, um, I woke up. I was in bed, and I woke up. Yes. And um, uh, I raised up and looked down, and I realized that, that I was laying on her. She was um, laying across my bed, and I was laying on her, and I woke up. And I said, oh, it's okay, uh, Mama, because I called my grandmother Mama. Yes. It's okay, Mama, go back to sleep. I'm okay. You don't have to worry about me anymore. Never saw her again after that. Holy mackerel. And I laid down went back to sleep. I appreciate the story, sir. I, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Yikes. That would not be, to me, your average reaction, you know, of... Uh, of somebody who uh, glanced over at Grandma, who's in the casket, who sits up straight. <laughs> you know, that would produce a near-death experience for me. I mean, if somebody sat up straight out of their casket, I'd probably have a heart attack, and I'll bet a lot of other people would too. It just, it just, it's wrong. In fact, that would probably be a, a great way to give somebody a heart attack, wouldn't it? A little practical joke. Sit up, maybe with your eyes wide, staring at the person. These are hard to give out. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm okay. Great. I'm calling from Richmond, Virginia. Yes, ma'am. And my name is Gail. And um, I was listening to you earlier, and a 
lady called talking about the waterfall experience she had. Dragged um, 60, 60 feet, I believe, she said, through a virtual tunnel, yeah. Right. Well, I had something similar to this. This was um, back when I was 16, about 69, and it was in New York and at Jones Beach in Long Island. Yes. And I went with my church to a, a beach party, actually, and I was jumping the waves, and I got a little bit too far out, and it seemed that the um, the sand just fell, and I fell down into, I don't know if it was a hole or whatever, but it was a deep fall, and I I was just being thrown around in the water. Um, next thing I knew, I was 16 at the time, I was watching myself drown. I was it was an out-of-body experience. I, I wish this lady, I could contact her because I would love to talk to her. I had this out-of-body experience where I was actually watching myself drown, and I was totally, I, mean, I was freaking out. I was 16, and I saw my hair throwing around, and my eyes were bulging, and I, I, I didn't know and what... And you could see it in a detached way? I mean, you, you were... I was, I was, it was as if I was standing next to you watching you do something. I was standing next to myself. Totally detached. Yeah. Totally detached. Totally. Can you and remember your feeling? Yes, yes. I remember it was the most, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, I'm a dreamer and I've had a lot of different experiences and I was a terminal cancer patient 12 years ago wow. and I've had a lot of experiences. But this one, um, I've heard people talk about the light and the tunnels and the music. Well, there was light, but it wasn't, it was as if you are a part of the light. It wasn't separate. It, it was as if you are a part of the light. Uh -huh. um, and it was the most beautiful light that I've ever, ever seen. And there was music, and the music was just, it was so clear, and it was so beautiful and I've never been able to put this into words until I read a book by Betty Eady into the light oh, of course yes and she said that um, that music that water every drop of water is is an, an exact the, the most absolute clarity of music a, a, a note of music well I've had Betty Eady on a number of times really I, I would oh my god and she said that this music, each note, each drop of water is, is a note of music and to, to the most absolute form. And when you put it all together in, as, as an uh, ocean, it would be the most beautiful sound. And the light was the same way. Um, it was the most wonderful. It, once I got over the shock of it, of, of what was happening to me, and at 16, I didn't talk about it to anybody, um, not back then, because I would have been put away. Do you know if you had an uh, opportunity to make a choice about whether to come back or not? Did you want to come back? You know, at that time, I wasn't thinking about it. Once I got out of there, you know, um, once I was back on shore, um, I, I wanted to go through it again. And as <sighs> I'm 51 now, and I think about this so much. I would love to experience this again. It was the most wonderful feeling, the the warmth, the music, the light, the just there was so. I know that there's more to this 
what we're experiencing now. I have no fear of death. I, I don't want to die now when it's my time, fine. But when that time comes, I will be so ready for it. Because huh. I, I know that there's more to this. Well, you know, that's what everybody who's had your experience just about says. And, and uh, to hear her talk about it, when, when she spoke about, you know, um, her drowning experience, I, you know, it was... I've never heard anybody else speak about it. And when she mentioned the light, I, you know, I said, I've got to find a way to contact this woman and, and talk about it with her. It was just wonderful. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever, ever experienced. Well, I would imagine there would be um, support groups for people who have had experiences of these sort, but you know, they're, they're, they're sorts, but they're so rare right. that that I really don't know. So I'll see what I can find out. Well, I would appreciate it. All right, and well, I'll listen to you. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Well, thank you. Take care. I understand a lot of people just uh, uh, would never talk about something like this on my clinically deadline. You're on the air. Art Bell. That's me. Well, I'll be done. Uh, <laughs> I've been hitting the redial button for quite a while. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I just have a story about something that happened in 1974. This is John from Dallas calling. Okay, John. And uh, I was been seeing a doctor, uh, elderly, and um, I had a low-grade infection. Well, he couldn't seem to, didn't seem to get rid of it. He, this time he gave me a huge shot of penicillin. That's what they do. And... I heard a buzz in my ears almost as soon as I pulled up my pants. First time callers, area code 775-727-1222. So this shock on his face, this look, and he said, lay down, lay down. Uh, I, I, I modified a little bit of what you just said there. Oh, okay. Uh, as you might understand. Um, so y you said, darn, I wonder what's happening. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I forgot on radio. I, listen, yeah, we are on radio. I, but I understand the experience justifies the word. It's just that we have these regulations about that sort of thing. Okay, and I, I, I laid down on this couch that he had. I turned my face to the wall, and I said, I put my trust in God. I knew something was happening. I didn't know what. Well, this is very hard to explain because there doesn't seem to be a, a definite sequence to it, except I, I was laying there. I felt like my... As I said, the word God, I felt like my tongue was going to just fall out of my mouth. Right. I, oh, and then I felt this, I heard him, I, I think I heard him yelling to his wife, and then that's all I remember. And I felt this, uh, this, I can't, I don't know exactly how to describe it, it was like an energy going up through my body and felt like my head was going to blow off. And later I found out what that was, he gave me a shot of adrenaline. Uh but at that moment, oh, that's interesting, and that's what a shot of adrenaline feels like, huh? It was, it was going just like that, loud and loud. And I thought I grabbed my—I just remember grabbing my throat, and that's all I remember. I went into this blackness, like a, a velvety, dark, dark. It looked like um, a curtain coming down. I just—and then I was somewhere. Don't know where I was. Didn't see my body. I just was somewhere, and. And it was like a meeting of some kind. They were saying, oh, it's not your time. You have to go back. You actually remember something saying that to you, or, or what? I just heard it. Like, I just heard it. It's not your time. You have to go back. And I felt this disappointment is the best way I could describe it. It's sort of like a drop in my energy or a disappointment. And 
And then all of a sudden, I saw this golden light. I guess they said, well, we'll give him something. I don't, I don't know. I saw this golden light, and, and a voice said, this beautiful voice. It seemed like my own voice. Right. It said, God. I said, oh, God, you're beautiful. And I just kept, rep- I just kept repeating this. Oh, God, you're beautiful. And it, it was just, oh, it was incredible. I just kept saying, oh, God, you're As beautiful. As though there are no real words. No right. real words. But it was words, my words in my head somehow or somewhere. And it was a golden light. And then from this golden light, I began, it began to diminish, and I saw a light coming forth from it. And it was uh, sparkly, very sparkly, but separated. And then it began to condense into a form, and I said, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're beautiful. And then it faded away before it be- became a form that I could recognize exactly. It was more of a lot of lights, many, right. like millions of lights. And then I was aware of... Uh, people around me. Uh, At that point, you were back in your body. Coming back, yes, coming back. And I was aware, and I could see the soul or the inner being of each one, and I were communicating on a mental level, and they were telling me how long they were going to live on, how long they were going to be on the earth plane. Wow. And they were beautiful. I was looking into their beauty, into their soul. Sir, I've got to leave you. I appreciate the story. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Take care. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from December 21st, 2001. You notice all the fear is gone, too? Romeo and Juliet are together in- 
song. It just always seems to somehow, you know, fit right in. Good morning, everybody. It's been a very unusual program. Not frequently do you hear what you're hearing tonight. Very, very unusual, actually. On the uh, clinically dead line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Hi. My name is Barbara, and I'm calling because I wanted to let you know that I was dead, and I'm an I'm, I'm agnostic. You're agnostic. Agnostic. Uh, uh, you were or are? I am. You are. Okay. What happened to you? Okay. I was um, very successful modeling and singing. I was in my 20s. Oh, yes. Um, I was a born-again Christian, going to church, doing a lot of charity work, uh, making records, praying for the sick. I had a heart condition. I still do. I'm your age at the present time. Okay. Um, Well, I... um, started feeling very ill at night, and I went to a telephone booth to try to get help. And I started sweating. And um, That's one indication of heart trouble. Yes, I was having a heart attack, right. heart stoppage. Right. I tried to cross the street. I, I just was so sick. I just didn't know what was happening. And I did not go through the tunnel. I did not see any light. I was instantly well, in this... Oh, I take it uh, at some point you, you didn't make it across the street. You collapsed right on I, the street or what? Yes, yes, uh, at the curb. At the curb. Yes. And uh, you you experienced, your heart stopped? Heart stopped. I had had heart trouble all my life. Uh-huh. I still do. Um, anyhow, I was in this dimension of which there were... Beautiful beings, in, in like you know, like they, they were like lights, and you do not speak the way we are right now. You speak telepathically. Oh, I've heard this. They before. told me so many things of which I cannot remember. You can't remember. No. But you remember I, information coming at you from these uh, beings of lights. Yes, I remember that they told me I couldn't stay. It was I, like a very light room. Yeah, I, I once had a young lady who explained it to me as almost like a blue star. No, it wasn't blue. It was like a being in an operating room. Okay. And it was very light, and I was I did not feel my body. I did not think of my parents. I did not think of my boyfriend. Um, I did not think of my career of which, you know, I was really soaring in the right direction. I was doing everything good, um, being a Christian and everything. And I begged and pleaded that I could stay. And I remember seeing a door, and they, w- and they would not let me go through. They okay. were mean. <laughs> and they really were not very nice. Well maybe they, 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 well, but maybe they knew it was a door you weren't supposed to be going through yet. But it was so beautiful, and I wanted to stay. It was I knew exactly that I had I wanted to be there. And then they told me, "You just can't." And when I came to, I was in the ambulance. My lip was hanging off after I had won several beauty pageants. I lost my looks. Oh my God. Um, my hair never came in properly. I lost all everything, my money. 
For all the years, 30 years that I've been on this earth, I have had nothing but bad luck. Never gotten married, have no children. Um, it's been hell. What a story. Um, out of curiosity, though, e- even even with all of this negativity that's happened to you, yes. having experienced that and knowing that there is something beyond physical death, how can you be agnostic? Because I, it was almost like as if the, the beings up there, these entities, yes. they were not angels. They were something almost like um, aliens, you might say, playing a game. It was almost like I was being tortured because I was shown a beautiful place. Okay, well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't wish to be at all insensitive, but has, yes. it, has it occurred to you mm-hmm. that perhaps y- y- you... Uh, you took the down escalator. Now, I'm, I don't mean that you went to hell, mm-hmm. but you didn't exactly, you know, r- rise up. It was so beautiful up there. And telepathically, we were speaking so nicely and everything, but it, they were stern and very very insensitive, you might say. And, and when I was in the ambulance and, uh, you know... I was coming, coming alive, and you know, I, I, it was just horrible. All I can say is that all I, what I said was, darn. Well, <laughs> it was a little worse than darn. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I was fine. so disappointed, you know, that I had to come back in the condition, and that my mission had never been fulfilled. I never, I lost my singing voice. Okay, well, everything. How do you feel now about death? Uh, do you do you have a normal fear of death now, or an enhanced fear I, of death? I have or? an indifferent uh, feeling toward death. I feel that when a person dies, you will remember just as you before you were born. It'll be nothing, because to go through what I went through and to have to you know to have to have a life like I've had now is hell. Well. I know, but this life, uh, it's so short compared to uh, what awaits. I mean, it really is short. You know, the years were yes. here. Very short, really. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm your age now, and um, all I can say is that I, there might be something. There's a great possibility that there will be something, but... Okay, well, how about this? It's bound to get better. Because according to what you've been telling me, it can't get much worse. That's true. So it's bound to get better, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I came to with no teeth. My teeth were chipped because they had fallen on that. Uh, I'm getting the picture. Oh, uh, it, it, it. You it, were wrecked. Uh, but, wrecked. But, but So th- there you are. It, it can do nothing but get better. Hmm. Have a cheery thought for the night and think that. Okay, I will. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Wow. Well... Here's another truth about um, about these kinds of stories. Now, not all of them are good. And you just had a sample of one that was not, and, and a life that followed that uh, has not been to this point. People are really, really, he- I mean, they're hesitant to tell these kinds of stories anyway. But to tell that kind of a story, people are really hesitant. So I think by proportion... 
you hear far fewer than actually occur, if you follow me. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello? Yes, sir. Hello, uh, Art. I'm, uh, my name's Jeff. I was in a um, very severe car accident back on uh, December 6th, 1980. I was thrown through the driver's window of the car, landing upon the pavement, and I was knocked unconscious for 33 days. 30, that, that's called a coma, sir. Yeah, I was in a coma for 33 days. Wow. And uh, I guess on my uh, my way through the window of the car, I would rip my stomach open, and I uh, had this big old scar about a foot and a half long on my belly. And uh, anyway, so they, they thought I had pneumonia because it was like the 6th of December, so they gave me a tracheotomy. That's why my voice sounds so... Uh, deranged. And anyway, they, they took me back to the hospital there in Vernal, Utah. They patched me up and then uh, flew me to Salt Lake City, Utah on my flight. And there I was um, in the hospital bed. And all of a sudden on January 9th of 81, I started to regain my consciousness. And it was like I was had three people in the room. Myself and two other people. Right. Two other me's. Oh, two and, other two other yous. Yeah, two other me's. One was at the foot of the bed, and the other one, the good me, was laying on our laying up on the headboard, a three quarter inch headboard. Okay. Do, do, do you, sir, remember anything? Do you think of the thirty three days that you were just in coma? Or are there any flashes of anything that you remember of that time? Well, I remember watching the um, the football game that year, the Super Bowl, parts of it against the um, Philadelphia Eagles and the. During the uh, time, is this during the time that you were in uh, coma? Yes. <laughs> and, and my mother you know, kept kept bringing my cowboy boots, and my cowboy hats, and all my stuff to the hospital, trying to, you know, get me bring my recognized recognizable yes. stuff to of the course. hospital, trying to pull me out. Yes, of course. Do you remember and, any of that? Um, vaguely. Vaguely. All right. Anyway, continue. Uh, there, so, were th there were three of you. Yeah, there was three of me. And, um, like, the good me was on the, the headboard of the bed, and then all of a sudden, this, um, this, the room went dark. And then it went, you know, I could see it again. I could, I could see the little, the little guy down the foot of the bed poking his head up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like these, um, two, Darker objects, little shadow type objects. Yeah. Grabbed him as like a sucking him in. And, you know, it was like, like they, it's like, uh, they'd taken him back to, to hell. Somewhere else, yeah. And, uh, then all of a sudden I seen this really bright light. I was in a really bright area. And all of a sudden I was going through this, um, like, curtain and I was walking hand in hand with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ was in a really beautiful um, apricot colored robe really beautiful robe and him and I were walking through this forest of real viney viney trees you know real, real, real beautiful and all of a sudden his hand starts slipping out of mine he says Jeff I do not have time to take you back with me now I'm going to leave you on the earth make something of yourself and back you came. And then I woke up. 
after 33 days. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's uh, that's the uh, the near death experience of a Christian. Now, I wonder what would happen if he'd been Buddhist. I wonder if it would have been Buddha, or would a Buddhist be surprised, shocked, and dismayed to find it was Jesus? You ever wonder about that? I've wondered a lot about that. On my clinically deadline, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, this is Crystal from Nebraska. Hi, Crystal. Um, I haven't really had a near-death experience, but I almost did, kind of. Well, almost did, kind of. Uh, yeah. This is an absolute line, Crystal. I mean, clinical death is clinical death. Yeah, well, um, I had a vision in front of me, and I screamed out a voice. I didn't know where it came from. And that's what happened, pretty much. Okay, well, I, I'm going to hold it right there, and I, I understand. But, uh, again, that's a clinical death line. That's a very specific restriction to that line, and um, I'm not sure that a simple vision qualifies. We're talking about clinical death here, cessation of breathing, uh, cessation of uh, the heart and the pumping of blood and so forth, you know, real clinical death. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Me? You, yes. Okay. This is, this is Francis, and I'm in Clearwater, Florida. Welcome. Uh, thank you. And um, this happened uh, back in 1988, and I had been very, very close to my deceased grandmother. And she had been on my mind for two or three days constantly. And I mentioned this to a friend, and a friend told me, that when I went to bed that night to ask my grandmother, evidently she had something to tell me, and ask her to come to me in a dream and tell me what she had to say and help me remember it in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the facts was, regrettably, um, I was near the very, very end of alcoholism. And... Um, when you are like that, you pass out. You don't normal dream, and you don't normal sleep. Blackout so time. I was yeah. not having dreams. All right. And um, but anyway, I did what my friend suggested, and uh, this sounds gruesome, but it was not frightening at all. I knew it was a message from her. Uh, I was sitting on a dusty porch and. Uh, it was a real dusty dirt road in front of me, and out of the sky, this little 50- or 60-pound creature fell in the middle of the road, and it was not quite a skeleton, which I assumed was dead. Yes. But it wasn't quite alive. It it had, it was starting to miss hair and flesh, and it looked horrible. Oh, brother. But as I looked at it, it raised up and looked at me in the face, and when her eyes connected, I realized that that was me, that I was, I could go either way. I was on the verge. Aye, aye, aye. And, uh, like I said, it wasn't frightening, and the next morning, when I did remember this, um, I really felt like, you know, my grandmother was saying, 
please, I'm showing you how close you are. Do something. Well, maybe that was the bottom that most alcoholics that, talk about, huh? That was that morning I called AA, but... Uh, and away you went. Listen, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you short, but the program is ending and I want to take a moment uh, first to thank everybody for an incredible night tonight, no doubt about it. And uh, and also, if I might, to take just a second to wish all of you a truly a Merry Christmas. And, uh, of course, we'll be here uh, between Christmas and the New Year for predictions, as we do every year. But I really wanted to say Merry Christmas and leave you with the song that Crystal Gale sang for me. Ta-ta. Midnight in the desert Shooting stars across the sky This magical journey Will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it to tomorrow? Will the sun shine on you? Midnight in the desert And we're listening Ooh, I'm listening to you Yeah. Uh-huh.